Lord, as always, may our focus be on you. And may the words that are spoken this morning from this pulpit be from you, not from me. The last thing these people need to hear, these wonderful people that you've brought into this church family, anything for me. But we all, starting with myself, have a desperate need to hear from you. Lord, we come to you in confession that we don't know how we ought to pray. Teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to get your Bibles out this morning and turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. You open your Bibles to the middle, you go to the left. No, actually, you go to the right. I take it back. You go to the right. Be thankful. I didn't have you look for Habakkuk or Jonah. A little harder to find than the book of Daniel. Is everybody there? Ready for a workout? Okay. In the seventh chapter of Daniel... Turn to the seventh chapter chapter of Daniel, excuse me. You will find that God gives Daniel a vision of four beasts that represent four future kingdoms. Just so you know that, uh, if you remember the book of Daniel was written, he was taken into captivity by which kingdom? It was the Babylonian kingdom that lasted 70 years. That was the length of time God had decreed it would be. A world power or a kingdom that was followed by the Medo-Persian kingdom, Darius the Mede and so on. Okay, The third kingdom is described in Daniel 7 verse 6. You see this? After this I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. Okay, A leopard with four wings is referring to... Which kingdom followed the Babylonian kingdom? There is a Medo-Persian kingdom, which was eventually dominated by the Persians, I believe, or Medes, one of the two, followed by which kingdom after that? History tells us. The Greek kingdom, Greece, exactly. And, of course, that was led by who? Alexander the Great. And what do we know about Alexander the Great? He ruled for 12 or 13 years. He was young, and it was a very quick rule. Because he conquered the known world very quickly. Hence, a leopard with speed given what? Wings to fly. The speed with which the Greek kingdom um, dominated the known world at its time. Now, it says the beast had four heads. After he had died at a young age, four generals rose up to rule, I believe, the, the Greek kingdom. But dominion was given to it by God. Of course, history tells us the third kingdom is the Greek empire, You may not have known this. The historian Josephus records Alexander the Great's 
triumphal entry, I call it, into Jerusalem for the first time after conquering it. Listen to this, because this is really fascinating. This is from Josephus in his Antiquities of the Jews, book 11. Alexander, when he had taken Gaza, made haste to go up to Jerusalem. And Jada, the high priest, when he heard that, meaning Alexander was coming, he was in agony, not knowing how he should meet Alexander, since the king was displeased at him at his foregoing disobedience. Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance, all the the Jews, in white garments, while the priests stood clothed with fine linen, and the high priest Jadua in purple and scarlet clothing, with his mitre on his head, having the golden plate whereon the name of God was engraved, Alexander approached by himself and adored that name. So he worshipped. And first saluted the high priest. The Jews also did altogether with one voice salute Alexander. And this is what they did, what the priest did. Very wise man. Give any idea what he did. He brought out the book of Daniel. And it was shown him wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians. He supposed that himself, Alexander, was the person intended. And as he was then glad, Alexander, he dismissed the multitude for the present. But the next day he called them to him and he asked them what favors they wanted of him. So the word of God was taken to Alexander when he arrived. And the book of Daniel was used. Did you know that? Now, after his worldwide conquests, I'm assuming you remember what happened to Alexander. It says that history tells us he wept, for there are no more worlds to conquer. And he died after a short life of debauchery at the age of 32. Now, the Greek Empire was followed by, history tells us, what empire? The Roman Empire. But Daniel goes on to describe a fifth kingdom to come. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Let's take a look at those real quick. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. I want you to know something. Who is giving dominion to the Babylonians, to the Medo-Persians, to the Greeks, and to the Romans? He is giving them dominion. He has given dominion to the United States at this point in history. Do you understand that? God is sovereign. He sets Up to be king who he sets up. He takes down who he takes down. There's a fifth kingdom coming by his plan. And, of course, it's his son's kingdom. It is for this kingdom. To give some context, it is for this kingdom that we pray, your kingdom 
come. Now, here is a quick summary of our sermon series so far. We started with this. This is what we're looking at this morning, your kingdom come. That's all we're going to look at this morning. We looked at this, our Father in heaven. We called that the paternity of God. And the idea is that God is a loving, good Father that has unlimited heavenly and earthly resources to meet all of our needs. So we have, he is approachable. He's our daddy. Got that? That's followed by what we call the prominence of God. Some call it the priority of God, but it's God is approachable, yes, but he is to be hallowed. Talked about setting apart as holy the name of God, who he is, the totality of all his attributes. We hallow that name. And it's, it's implied in this, hallowing is an actual living a holy life. You cannot pray, hallowed be thy name, and live a sinful life. You're not hallowing his name then. We want to hallow his name. We want to put him first in our prayers when we are praying. It is worship and praise of one who is worthy. We talk about that the reason why we pray is right here. We pray basically so that God may be glorified. Jesus said this, that whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to give you. This will I do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. God comes first. It is the death of self. That's the beginning of true prayer. We are daily dying to self as we pray and put his needs first. We pray so that God may be glorified. Prayer is the occasion for God to demonstrate his glory. And if you can get that, that is huge. It is transformative in your prayer life. I am praying God is meeting my needs, and that is an opportunity for me then to tell others of how good God is and to give Him glory. That's why we pray, so that God may be glorified. So prayer is not about who? Me. The three most important people in my life, me, myself, and I. The death of self is the beginning of true prayer. Now, as we continue our series on prayer, we're going to come to three very powerful words that we just saw in Matthew 6.10. That if you understand them, it should radically change the way that you pray. Of course, these words are your kingdom come. So I want to begin by talking about defining what the kingdom of God is. Four quick points we'll go over this morning in this sermon. So we're going to begin by asking, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the phrase, first of all, the kingdom of God is just that. It is a phrase. It's called the, in the Gospels, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. I want you to hear me on this. This phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, is used more than any other phrase by Jesus. Did you know that? And from the very beginning, his message was about the kingdom of God. Remember this? From the time, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exactly. The reason why the Son was sent from the Father was to preach the kingdom of God. Listen to Luke chapter 4, 42 through 44. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach 
the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Listen to this. For I was sent for this purpose. To preach the kingdom of God. Jesus spent all of his years, the three years he had with his disciples, teaching them the kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom. Say it with me. The kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom. It is about the kingdom. And when he died and rose again, how much time did he have on earth before he went to heaven? Do you remember? Forty days. What did he talk about in those 40 days? Well, luckily, the book of Acts tells us. In Acts 1-3, this is what he spoke about. It says, To them he presented himself alive, meaning the disciples, after his suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It was always about, his message was always about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Now that begs the question, then what is the kingdom? Well, the word kingdom in the Greek literally means rule or reign. Now, if you're like me, and I think you are, that is far different from our understanding of what a kingdom is. When I think of a kingdom, I think of a place with walls like a castle, right? With moats and all of the stuff that comes to the castle. And I also think of a kingdom of people in around the castle or in the castle and so on. In fact, that was Pilate's understanding. Do you remember when he questioned Jesus about his kingdom before he had him crucified? He said, are you the king of the Jews? And do you remember what Jesus answered? My kingdom is not of this world. So what is the kingdom of God then? If it means rule or reign, it's simply this. It's the rule of Jesus Christ. In his reign, his rule, folks, it's the climax of all of human history. It is simply the reign or the rule of Jesus Christ. So the kingdom in one sense is not a place. It is what? A person. It is Jesus Christ. All of human history culminates in the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ as king. Believe it or not, you are here and everything in this world is heading towards one point. The glorification of the Son of God when he comes again in his reign. And I want you to see, nothing else matters to assist and of the kingdom of God, but the reign or rule of the king. Do you hear me on that? It is a priority of Jesus, and he's telling us it should be a priority priority in your praying. Now, we also know the kingdom of God is already present. Jesus said this, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And by this, what did he mean? It is the reign, the rule of Jesus Christ, where? In the hearts of men and women. That is 
the reign, the role of his kingdom right now. It is present. It's in the midst. It is not a building. It's not walls. It's not just a people. It's, it's the reign of, of the king of kings in our hearts. But we also know this, that the kingdom has not yet come in all its fullness, right? And don't we long for that? Amen. Therefore, the kingdom is future. This is why we pray your kingdom come. Exactly. It's why in in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, all the voices of heaven cry out, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, I know some of you out there are smiling, and you should be, because that's good news. I want you to know this as well. There is a sense of urgency or immediacy with regards to the coming of his kingdom. Did you know that? I don't think you would, because you'd have to know your Greek and, and grammar and all that. But literally, this reads, your kingdom come, it means thy reign come, or let thy kingdom come now. We are to be zealous that his kingdom would come in the hearts of people now. This is a command. It calls for effective action, a sudden, instantaneous coming. There's a sense of immediacy. And if you remember from last week, there is a sense of immediacy that his name be hallowed. You understand more when I go on with this sermon. And finally, when we define the kingdom, and you know this, the kingdom is it is highly valued. It is to be highly sought after. It's of great value. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Remember this? Which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Think about that. Selling all that you have just to get the kingdom. In other words, you are to sell all that you have so that you can have Jesus Christ just rule in your heart. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When finding one pearl of great value, again, he went and sold all they had and bought it. That is how valuable the kingdom is. That's how valuable the reign, the rule of Jesus Christ in the present, right now, is in the hearts of men, is in your heart. Because in the end, when he comes again, either you're in his kingdom, right? Or you're not. Now, let's talk about this. Prioritizing the kingdom. The Talmud which is the Jewish commentary on God's word, his laws and so on, it says this. The, that prayer in which there is no mention of the kingdom of God is no prayer at all. Think about that for a moment. That prayer in which you are not praying for the kingdom of God, it's no prayer at all. So from a Jewish perspective, prayer was to be centered on the coming of the kingdom of God. Our prayers are centered on who? Us. 
for Christians, prayer is to be centered on the coming of the kingdom, and more specifically, the second coming of Jesus Christ, in which he fully establishes his kingdom forever. Think about this. Since all of human history, all of redemptive history, is moving to the glorification of the Son of God at his return, this becomes every believer's, that is the coming kingdom, is to be your preoccupation. You are preoccupied in your prayers with what? Your kingdom come. Nothing else matters in relation to his coming. You may have an aunt that stubbed her toe and is calling for prayer. You can eventually pray for her. But what's the preoccupation in your prayers? His kingdom. His kingdom. Now, I want you to remember the words of our Lord in Luke 17. Turn there. Luke 17, verses 20 through 18, verse 8. We're not going to go through it verse by verse. I did that last year. But I want to show you the priority of praying for his kingdom, and specifically for the coming of his kingdom. Chapter 17, verses 20 through chapter 18, verse 8. The Pharisees are coming to Jesus, or have come to Jesus, and they ask, when is the kingdom of God coming? Do you see that? Do you see that? Okay, good. After answering them, and, and that's all of the chapter 17, he shares with them a parable about prayer that is found in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Now, I want to remind you of something, and you can take your eyes off the passage right now and just look at me for a moment. Typically, when Jesus would speak to the crowds, how would he speak to them? In a parable. Why did he speak to them in parables? Because it was only given to who to know the true meaning of the parable? To the disciples. The crowds, for the most part, were left to try to figure out on their own the meaning of the parable. Because the secrets of the kingdom of God were reserved for who at this time? The disciples. In other words, it was only granted by the Father to be revealed to the disciples. But not in this case. You see that? He explains the meaning of the parable. And the point of this parable is so important that Jesus was allowed to give its meaning before the parable. Because remember, Jesus only spoke what he heard from the Father. So this is pretty important. It's about the coming of the kingdom. And what's the point? The point is very clear. Don't give up praying intensely, day and night, at all times. Look at verse 8. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So when Jesus asks at the end of verse 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is what he means. Because it's tied into chapter 17, verse 20, in his coming. What faith is he looking for when he comes? Praying for what? Well, the parable is talking about justice and the coming of the kingdom of God. Complete justice only will happen when, folks? At the second coming of Jesus Christ when he establishes his kingdom forever. So we are to pray for whose return? Day and night. 
Do you not know the answer to that question? Okay, good. So what are we to pray? In other words, your kingdom coming. He is looking for people that are intensely praying what? Your kingdom come. Here's why. Because when he comes, what will happen? He will be glorified. Remember John 14, 13, I put that up there. If you ask anything, I do this the right way. Yeah. What? Ask anything in my name. I'm going to do that. Why? The Father may be glorified in the Son. When will the Father really and truly be glorified in the Son? At the second coming. Exactly. Exactly. For us, it means this. A true child of God. If you consider yourself a true child of God, you will concern yourself not so much with your own plans, but with the plans of God. Think of it this way. I try to explain this in the Sunday school or the prayer class. I have a job. You have a job. You work from eight to five, right? You think about your work from eight to five. You come home, hopefully you can shut that off and you can go and do other things you need to do. You re-engage thinking about your job at 8 the next morning until 5, right? What happens when you can't stop thinking about your job from 8 to 5? Okay? Your job no longer becomes your occupation, but what? Preoccupation. The kingdom is not to be your occupation. It's to be your preoccupation. Your work is to be, and thinking about your work and thinking about life is to be an, an annoyance, a distraction from what? The kingdom of God. And it will manifest itself in how you pray. Folks, prayer is not, praying right is not letting God in on your agenda. It is calling for God to fulfill His own agenda through you. How can we call ourselves Christians who have affirmed the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives when we are not preoccupied with His causes but with our own? Now, that takes, obviously, quite a transformation in the life of a believer to come to the place where instead of saying, My kingdom come, he says, thy kingdom come. We seek his kingdom first. Which leads right into my next point. Distracted from the kingdom. In his very first sermon, Jesus laid out the priorities for the citizens of his kingdom. And regarding the kingdom, he said this, Matthew 6, you know it, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, a story is told of a conversation, perhaps you've heard of it, the source is unknown, but someone came up with this analogy. The devil is having a conversation with some demons on how to populate his kingdom. Yes, he does have a kingdom, by the way. Satan does. 
And one demon said, send me, Satan, I will send them, I will tell them there is no God. Satan replied, they will never believe you. Most of them know that there is a God. Another said, send me, Satan, I'll tell them that there is no heaven or hell. Satan shook his head, that will never do. They know that there is life after death. Then a third demon spoke, send me, Satan, I'll tell them there is a God, a heaven, and a hell, but there's no hurry to decide. Ah, said Satan with satisfaction, that is the best plan. And that demon was sent out into the world to spread this lie. That demon was probably at work in the case of Felix, found in the book of Acts. Acts 24, verse 25. Everybody turn there. History tells us about Felix, that he was a slave in the household of Antonio, the daughter of Mark Antony and Octavia, and the mother of the Roman emperor Claudius. Now, Felix and his brother, Pallas, were given their freedom and rose to positions of great influence during Claudius' reign. Pallas became the chief accountant to the public treasury and amassed enormous wealth. Through his connections in high places, Felix got appointed as a governor of Judea, a position that he held probably from A.D. 52 to 59. Okay? In his great mercy, our God, think about this, presents to Felix the opportunity of a lifetime to listen to none other than the Apostle Paul preach the gospel to him and his wife personally. But Paul's preaching got a bit too close for comfort. Felix became frightened, and this is what he said in chapter 24, verse 25 of Acts. Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Now, Felix did summon Paul after that, but the opportunity had passed. He was never saved because of the excuse that he didn't have time for God. We all live busy lives. Lord knows I've certainly talked to you about that over and over again. Many things crowd into our daily schedules and they push out Jesus Christ, which is another way of saying they push out the kingdom of God. Now, we all know that we should make time for God in his kingdom, but we're prone to think this. If you're a student here, for example, you may think this. As soon as the semester is over, I will find time for God. If you're a husband, as soon as I get through this busyness at work, I'll make time for God. If you're a wife, as soon as the kids get into school, I'll make time for God. If you're a retiree, when I retire, then I'll make time for God. 
It amazes me that when you retire, you think of all the things that you can do. Every, every retired person I hear says they're busier now than they were when they were working. Do you know what that means? You're addicted to busyness and activity, and you cannot slow down. The biggest regret my grandfather told me. Do you remember this, Eric? When we were sitting there, and his, we saw him last before we went back to Indiana, and then he died um, months later. He retired, because you did this time, at 62. He'd worked 40-some years. And the opportunity to work with another gentleman. They were going to go work with churches and help plant churches, stuff like that. And he just decided to stay retired and not do that. He regretted not doing that. And what happens to us? Well, life slips by. The things of God fade from view. And we miss our opportunity, just as Felix did. We must learn that in life, things never slow down, do they? The only time things slow down in life is when you die. That's when things slow way down. After all, death is nature's way of saying what? Slow down. The story of Felix serves as a reminder. The world will always tell you with the time you've been given to build your own kingdom. Make life about you. If you have any time left over, then you can build into the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, don't get distracted from the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. That is what you are praying. And you should know this as you are learning this now. When you pray... Your kingdom come, that's what you're praying. So let's talk about praying the kingdom of God to come on earth. I want to give you the full understanding. This is really the reason why we're going over this very slowly. There's three simple words. I want you to understand what it means to pray, your kingdom come. Look at Matthew verses six, Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. I want you to get this sentences, this idea, this concept in its entirety. I want you to see the logical flow of this prayer. It is a masterful prayer that our Lord prayed. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. You know it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that, right? Right? Okay. I have a question for you. Is God's will done in heaven? Is God's kingdom, meaning his reign or his rule, established in heaven? Is God's name hallowed in heaven? Is his will done perfectly on earth? Is his kingdom fully established on earth? No. Is his name hallowed on earth? No. Now, in order for his name to be hallowed on earth and for his will to be done on earth, what must happen first? His kingdom must first come. It must be first fully established. 
Folks, this is what you are praying when you pray your kingdom come. Theologians have long believed that the only part of all of God's creation, just think about this for a moment, that is rebelling against his will is humanity on earth. Did you know that? Because we know that right now, what are the stars doing in the heavens? They're singing and proclaiming his glory. But you, know, you can actually hear the sound of the stars make. It's, a, it's actual noise. Because they are doing what they're created to do. Only humanity on earth is rebelling against God. When you are praying, or when you pray, your kingdom come, in essence you're praying, Father, stop the rebellion so that you may reign here on earth as you reign there in heaven. Now, his plan to establish his reign involves who? This is where it gets personal, folks. I'm not hearing anybody. We can say it louder. It is everybody in this room. This is his plan. Do you want his name to be hallowed on earth? Do you want his will to be done on earth as in heaven? Well, it's going to begin first and foremost with you. We bring the reign of Jesus Christ to earth when we surrender to his rule in our hearts as Lord. And what I'm talking about here is a radical surrender to God. Let me share you with another story from Alexander the Great that gives us insight into the unusual effectiveness and speed of Alexander's rule. Alexander the Great and a small company of soldiers approaching a strongly fortified walled city. Alexander raised his voice and demanded to see the king. When the king arrived... Alexander ordered him to surrender the city and everyone inside. The king laughed. Why should I surrender to you? You can't do us any harm. But Alexander offered to give the king a demonstration. He ordered his men to line up single file and start marching. He marched them straight toward a cliff. The townspeople gathered on the wall and watched in shocked silence as one by one his soldiers marched without hesitation right off the cliff to their deaths. After ten soldiers died, Alexander ordered the rest of the men to return to his side. The townspeople and the king immediately surrendered to Alexander the Great. They realized that if a few men were actually willing to die at the command of this leader, then nothing could stop his eventual victory. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning in your life, brings his reign to this earth. And so you have to ask yourself, as I have to ask myself, 
Are we fully surrendered to the complete rule of Christ in our lives? What can God do through a completely surrendered child of his? Well, he will bring his rule on earth. Will you surrender to him completely? Now, if we're going to pray his kingdom on earth, your kingdom come, if we're going to pray that, secondly, he will bring his kingdom. His kingdom only comes, by the way. His reign rule to earth through us, and it's going to come, if his reign is going to come on earth, it always begins with an invitation. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, we find the parable of the wedding feast. When those who were invited would not come to the wedding feast, which is a reference to the Jews in this context, what were the king's instructions? Well, let's look at verse 9. This is what he tells his servants. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Go to the highways and the byways is what that means. Go out everywhere. It's not a select few. It is everywhere. And invite them to the wedding feast. You see, you want to get in the kingdom. You want God's kingdom to come. It always begins with an invitation. And clearly, what are the servants to do? Go and invite. We are to invite others to end the rebellion against God. Allow him to take up his reigning residence in their lives. Folks, the reason we talk to people about Christ... It's not so much for their sake, but for his namesake. See, it's wrong that someone should not allow him to reign in their heart because he's worthy. Do you understand that? I am introducing people to Christ so that his name is hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. This is why Paul said this in Romans 1.5. He was called to be an apostle for this purpose, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The reason to become a Christian is that you can glorify and exalt his name, i.e., how would be your name. The reason to become a Christian is that you can glorify and exalt his kingdom, hence, your kingdom come. The reason to become a Christian is so that you can glorify and exalt his will, which is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so to pray, thy kingdom come, is in essence to pray an evangelistic prayer, inviting people into his kingdom. Ray Pritchard wrote this in his book, And When You Pray, The Deeper Me and the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer to be prayed. I thought it was excellent. Are you in the kingdom of God? 
If the answer is yes, then you pray a prayer like this every day. Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come in my life today. May your values dominate my thinking and my decision making. May your cause in the world be advanced by the things I say and do. Help me to do your will all through this day. In essence, that's what it means to pray your kingdom come. So what I want you to do this week is to actually pray that prayer. So do you have a paper or pencil? If you have a phone, take a snapshot of this or write this down. This is going to be up there. This is what you're going to do every day, hopefully throughout the day. You have to train yourself to get the focus off of self and on his kingdom. And I'm not just talking to you. I am talking to me. That is what I want you to pray every day. Now, that's in addition to you adoring your Heavenly Father and feeling comfortable approaching Him. This is in addition to you hallowing His name, putting Him first and praising Him. Pray this after that. Pray this after that. Are you okay? Let's pray. Is it the song of Magnificent, right, Debbie? A fitting ending can have the worship team come up. We'll sing about him and how magnificent he is. Let me pray this morning. Lord Jesus, bow your heads with me. May your kingdom come in my life today. May your values dominate my thinking and my decision making. May your cause in the world be advanced by the things I say and do. Help me to do your will all through this day. And all God's people said, Amen. I want you to stand.